Good morning. Dobro horonko. Forgive me if that is not close, but I think that's good morning. So, Have you ever, what I'm assuming most of us have, experienced pain, discouragement, disappointment, maybe felt attacked, lonely, maybe insignificant, like no one cares, or no one understands, or maybe no one sees you? Well, the names of God speak into these, and they communicate. Sorry, I'm going to move this just a little off the side for you. Or you could just see the Pastor Todd version of the other side. The names of God communicate about God's character. They communicate about who He is, His nature. And it encourages us. Right? So we will be zooming in on the names of God in the next couple of Sunday nights. And I would encourage you, because many of us have faced these in our lives, maybe some are facing that at this time, uh, to be reminded of who God is especially in those times of difficulty. And so Sunday nights for the next couple of weeks, we'll focus our attention on that. We have been traveling through the book of Joshua. We recognize that the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, out of slavery and bondage. They had wandered in the desert for 40 years because of their disobedience of acting as God had instructed them to. And so they wandered for 40 years in the desert. And then they came to the point where they were ready to enter into the promised land. Moses, because of his sin and disobedience and not trusting God, not listening and obeying to what God had said, was told he wouldn't see the promised land. And so uh, Moses passes on, but he passes along the baton to Joshua. And in Joshua chapter 1, we saw that the baton was passed on and God reaffirms His promise to Joshua uh, to, to be strong and courageous. Don't fear. God is with him through this journey. We looked at Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, the spies are sent in. They find lodging at Rahab's uh, place and we are introduced to Rahab. And we find a scarlet red, uh, thread running through the entire book of the Bible leading to Jesus. But she's going to be saved and spared, her and her family. Joshua chapter 3, we found that there was a stepping out in faith as they had come to the Jordan River. The Jordan River was uh, an enormous task. It was almost impossible what was going to happen. And God parted those waters, allowed the Israelites to pass over onto the other side. And there was a stepping out in faith as they trusted God that He would lead them. And they got to the other side. Joshua chapter 4, we are told that there were some things that they were going to put in place as memorials and remembrances uh, so that they could continue to tell their children, this is what God has done in our midst. And so whenever they saw those things and the children asked, they would point to that. They put in place their or reestablished their circumcision and their um, feast 
and celebration. In the end of chapter 5, we looked at Joshua encountering the Lord of the army of hosts. Jesus Himself visited Joshua to encourage Joshua that He was going to be with him. In Joshua chapter 6, we saw the, the conquering of Jericho. The battle of Jericho as God uh, del- put them into their hands and they defeated the uh, Jericho city. Chapter 7, we were surprised as we encountered uh, that there was defeat. So as they headed over to AI uh, or AI, then they encountered a situation where they could not win the battle. And they lost, well, 36 men, their only loss in this uh, military campaign. They were defeated, they were discouraged. Joshua had turned to the Lord to find out what was taking place and to plead for uh, direction. And God in, uh, gave him the information that there was sin in the camp. And we looked at that last week as to what that looked like. Joshua chapter 8, 1 to 29, if you have your Bibles. Joshua chapter 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city, and his land. And you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king. Only its spoils and its livestock you shall take as plunder for yourselves. Lay an ambush against the city behind it. So Joshua and all the fighting men arose to go to Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men of valor and sent them out by night. And he commanded them, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind it. Do not go very far from the city, but all of you remain ready. And I and all the people who are with me will approach the city. And when they come out against us, just as before, we shall flee before them. And they will come out after us until we have drawn them away from the city. For they will say they are fleeing from us just as before. So we will flee before them. Then you shall rise up from the ambush and seize the city. For the Lord your God will give it into your hand. And as soon as you have taken the city, you shall set fire to the city. You shall do according to the word of the Lord. See, I have commanded you. So Joshua sent them out. And they went to the place of the ambush and lay behind Bethel and Ai and to the west. And sorry, Ai to the... And Joshua spent the night among the people. Joshua rose early in the morning and mustered the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. And all the fighting men who were with him went up and drew near to the city and encamped on the north side of Ai with a ravine between them and Ai. He took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city, and its rear guard west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. And as soon as the king of Ai saw this, he and all his people, the men of the city, hurried and went out early to the appointed place towards uh, the Arabah to meet Israel in battle. 
But he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all the people pretended to be beaten before them and fled in the direction of the wilderness. So all the people who were in the city were called together to pursue them. And as they pursued Joshua, they were drawn away from the city. Not a man was left in Ai and Bethel who did not go out after Israel. They left the city open and pursued Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I have given it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. And the men in the ambush rose quickly out of their place. And as soon as he had stretched out his hand, they ran, they entered into the city, and they captured it. And they hurried to set the city on fire. So that when the men of Ai looked back, behold, the smoke of the city went up to heaven, and they had no power to flee this way or to that, for the people who fled in the wilderness turned back against the pursuers. And when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had captured the city, and that the smoke of the city went up, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. And the others came out from the city against them, so that so they were in the midst of Israel, some of this on this side and some on that side, and Israel struck them down until there was no one left, none that survived or escaped. But the king of Ai they took alive and brought him near Joshua. And when Israel had finished killing all the inhabitants of Ai in the open wilderness where they pursued them, and all of them that were to the very last had fallen by the edge of the sword, All Israel returned to Ai and struck down with the edge of the sword. And all who fell at that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all of the people of Ai. But Joshua did not draw back his hand, which he had stretched out with a javelin, until he had devoted all the inhabitants of Ai to destruction. Only the livestock and the spoil that city took as their plunder, according to the word of the Lord that he had commanded Joshua. And Joshua burned Ai and made it forever a heap of ruins. It is as it is to this day. And he hanged the king of Ai on the tree until evening. And at sunset, Joshua commanded that they take, took down his body from the tree and threw it at the entrance of the gate of the city and raised over it a great heap of stones which stands to this day. There's a new plan. God uses failures, sometimes for His advantage or an advantage and a part of strategy for victory. You know, it's easy to get stuck in failure and feel that we can't get out. But this is a good reminder that when sin is confessed and it's brought to light and it's dealt with, that God can turn that now into something useful. Think about your own life. God wants to use even your times of disappointment, your times of discouragement, your times of failure. Although it's not an excuse for failure, He does want to use these times as opportunities that He could use for His glory. God moves us from a place of spiritual defeat to a spiritual place of victory. And... Walking in the joy of our salvation and empowered by the Holy Spirit in our lives is the goal of what we would really like to accomplish. Chapter 7, the Lord told Joshua to have the people consecrate themselves right, to the Lord. 
they identified sin, they dealt with sin, and they purposed in their hearts to obey the Lord. And the result was that God turned His anger away from them, and His favor was on them once again. Cannot refer enough to 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We've got to continue to put that to memory and continue to draw from that. I would like to camp for a moment on one thought. Well, I'm going to camp on a few thoughts as we travel through this, but one initial thought that I believe needs to be addressed. Many of you, I'm sure, are very familiar, and this may be just an encouragement to you, but there are some that may be unfamiliar with the truth. There is a positional identity. Sorry, that's me. There's a positional identity, and then there is a practical fellowship or practical relationship. The positional identity is this that these were God's chosen people. God promised an everlasting covenant with Abraham, and that his descendants would be God's chosen people. And God is faithful to his promises, right? That he's faithful to that, he's committed to it. But there's also a relational end of things and a practical relationship of walking in obedience to God as His chosen people. And so there's sin in the camp in chapter 7. It has to be dealt with. It was discovered. It was dealt with. And then it was time to move on. So after sin is exposed and it's dealt with, the relationship with God renews, restores what it is again. As it relates to us today, there's a positional identity and a practical fellowship relationship that we enjoy or could enjoy. Our position is the way that God sees us. How does God view us? How does He see us? Right? And so our position is the way God sees us, and He can see us for what Christ has done for us. Our practice is the way that we live out our daily lives. So Scripture tells us this. Again, maybe just a reminder for some. We're born under the curse of sin. We're born in sin. That we are sinners by nature. We are sinners by choice. Romans 1 all the way to Romans 8 unfolds this picture for us as Paul delivers that. We are enemies with God. Scripture tells us we are all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's holy standard. There's no one good. No one righteous. Romans 10. No one who is righteous. Right? That we are dead in sin and that we've been made alive in Christ. Ephesians 2, 1-2 As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world ruler and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. We need to be forgiven. We need to be made right positionally with God. In a right position. So positionally, we are sinners opposed to God, and we are told that God demonstrated His love toward us by providing the solution to the positional problem. And the solution is in His Son, Jesus Christ. 
God Himself became the solution for our problem. God Himself, Jesus came to earth and was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. And then they crucified Him on the cross as He willingly allowed them. He suffered, He died, He was buried, He rose again on the third day. And after 40 days, He ascended back into heaven and is now seated at the throne beside the Father and will one day return in victory as our King, as our ruler. Scripture tells us that we need to recognize that we fall short, that we are sinners. We need to plead for God's mercy and for His forgiveness. We need to agree that there is nothing we in and of ourselves can do to offer God, to be accepted by God, but that we are fully and completely in reliance upon His grace, His mercy for our salvation. We need to believe that Jesus is the one and the only one for our salvation. Salvation, Acts 4.12, is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We acknowledge that Jesus paid the price for my sin and that He sacrificially offered up His life in exchange for my life. That He who says He is and that I need Him as Lord and King of my life. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power uh, that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First the Jew and then the Gentile. So I come to Jesus as Jesus says I need to come. The way in which. John 10.9 I am the gate. He who enters through will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Scripture tells us that when we come, and when we confess, and when we put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we will be saved. God saves us. In a sense, God positionally changes us from death to life, from opposition to Him, to becoming a son or daughter of the Most High God. So we then become this son or daughter, this co-heir with Christ, that we, we receive the blessings that Christ gives to us and the right standing with God the Father because of Jesus Christ the Son. So spiritual position change is required. It needs to happen. But once that change has occurred as a member of God's family and as a follower of Jesus Christ, we continue to struggle in our, our walk, in our faith, in our, our trust, our relationship. This is called sanctification. It's a process, a journey that we will endure until we are face to face with Jesus Christ. Right? We now deal with our practical relationship with Jesus. This is our daily walk with the Lord. So we can face times of disappointment, times of failure. Right? It impacts our walk and our fellowship with the Lord and our relationship with others. It impacts sometimes our attitudes, our emotional health, and our spiritual 
growth. If unchecked, <laughs> we've got to be careful and unresolved because over months and over years, uh, it, if I left unchecked, we need to wrestle through whether the reality of the positional change really took place in our lives. Did, did we really change from life to death? Regarding our daily practical relationship with God, this is why we set aside time Some people call it a quiet time with the Lord, but a time that is dedicated to spend with God. We regularly ask God to search our hearts. We continually live out prayerful confession of our sin. And we constantly desire to walk in obedience and trust. In confession, we find forgiveness. And in confession, we find a restored favor and a spiritual health in our soul in our relationship. So take pause. You know, let God's Spirit move in your heart this morning on your position with God first. Am I positionally right with Him because I put my faith and I trust and my dependence upon Jesus? And then your daily relationship with God as you've come in here this morning. We like to come in to church uh, as if everything is Okay. And for some, this is, uh, you know, okay. But for others, we may have walked in here with the struggles and the battles and the difficulties of life that we had this week. My encouragement is that we seek Jesus this morning. Turn it over to Him. Call upon Him. Now, as it relates to God's judgment on Achan... At times we can look at situations like Achan, which was in chapter 7, and how they dealt with him. God said we need to expose this, we need to deal with it. And it was a drastic way of dealing with Achan. There were drastic measures for this. And at times we can look at this and say, wow, I think that's just a little too harsh. Right? That, that was pretty... I thought God was a God of grace and mercy, which... He is. But sometimes God operates in a way that is, uh, um, I would call it a principle rather than a pattern. Do we understand what that means? So the principle is that he has sinned and disobeyed God and obviously he's going to face a judgment for that. But thanks be to God that the pattern isn't always that way. Right? Sometimes God operates by principle rather than pattern. If you flip it around, we need to be thankful that God doesn't deal with us all the way He dealt with Achan. In a sense, instead of viewing it in the one way, we view it in the other way where, thank you, God, that when I disobey, when I sin, that you don't deal with me like you did with Achan, that your grace is sufficient and there. And that it's not the, the pattern of your dealing with us. It's very difficult in the 21st century to think of this way of which God deals with people. But sometimes God exposes things for the purpose of that principle to be established. Because you know what? As they continue to go into the promised land, uh, that had to be dealt with first so that there could continue to be God's presence and God's power and, and the victory as they took in the promised land. Heavenly Father, I pray we're just going to spend a few moments just looking at chapter 8 and this strategy 
and victory that now is going to take place in this nation of Israel as they begin to take over the land that you promised, that you gave to them as an inheritance. And there's some principles that help us in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, right in chapter 8, and the Lord, or in other translations, it says now. This marks a new day. Sin has been purged from the camp, which allows Joshua a renewed communication with the captain of the Lord's army. Right? And so the Lord says to Joshua, It's been dealt with, and now there's the opportunity to move forward. Do not fear. In other words, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, and don't be dismayed. Someone has said that there are 365 times in the Bible that these words are used. That is one, do not fear for every day of the year. Can you imagine? Do not fear, God says, for every day of the year, for every year of your life. I want to draw attention to something so wonderful, so life-changing and so encouraging. Notice that God is a personal God. Do not be afraid, Joshua. Take courage. I am with you. And Jesus lived. He experienced all that we experience. He went through the pain and the suffering. He died. He identifies with us in our difficulties, struggles, and challenges this morning. But He rose from the dead and He conquered death. He gives us hope that we too will overcome. That we will rise with Him. And that we will be brought into eternal life with Him forever. I have given into your hand the King of Ai, His people, His city, and His land. God's voice had been silent prior to this first attack. There was sin in the camp. There also was Joshua, who I believe failed to seek God. The people, I think, were overconfident in trying to take over Ai. And they didn't rely on the Lord, and so he was silent. But now again, just as before the battle of Jericho, God gives the promise in the past tense. Right? I have given it over to you. That's the past. That it's already happened in his mind. God gives the promise of the past tense indicating that all Israel had to do was to obey Him. And the victory was theirs. The victory was theirs. Joshua 8, 3-9, the strategy for capturing Ai was ingenious. I didn't have my risk game here, but some have Catan. And this is a strategy game. I don't know how many like strategies. Strategy is found everywhere. Strategy is found in sports, in battle. It's found in medicine. It's found in a number of different ways. And here we have a city, and the strategy will be given to surround with an ambush the city. And what I like is that what is instructed as they are given this task to take over is that there will be uh, three groups. There will be a group that's sent of soldiers. And notice from chapter 7 to chapter 8, we go from, ah, you know what, these people, they're easy prey, no problem, just send off about 3,000 men and go ahead. Those men were defeated. 
We know the reasons why. Now there's 30,000 who are going to be placed in a strategic location. And then the people will come as if to battle straight head on. And the AE will respond in the same way. And they'll think, ah, we've got them again. And they'll pursue them to drive them away again. But at this time, what will happen is those who are laying in ambush will go into the city, take over the city, and they will burn the city and they will have a a victory that God will lead them to. There's another group he puts in place as well, the third group. I don't want to draw something out of the text that isn't there or use the text as a springboard for some agenda, but I think it's of value to note and apply a principle from the different strategies that God presents here from chapter 6 in Jericho to chapter 8 here in IE. What seems to be clear from these two different battle scenes and scenarios is that God uses different approaches to achieve victory. Foundational truths were the same as they trusted the Lord. They built their strategy on His Word as their foundation. But the means and the strategy and the approach varied. Keep this in mind as far as our kingdom ministry, our serving the Lord. We build upon the solid foundation of God's Word. Prayer, fellowship, encouraging one another, serving one another, equipping the saints for every good work in the kingdom. These are non-negotiable things that we've been told we need to do. But our strategy, tools, and approach may vary. Sometimes they need to be creative. Sometimes they need to change. Sometimes our purpose and mission right, is the way we which approach things. But the, strateg- the mission and the purpose may not change, but the strategy to accomplish it may at times vary. The people of Ali, however, interesting, the nation of Israel changed their tactic, but the people of Ai use the same approach. Oh, good. Here they come again. We'll just pursue them the same way we did before. You notice they came out to battle. They pursued Israel as they did before. An important note. Have you ever thought about this? That Satan uses the same tactics and the same strategy and the same attack to lead us into sin? Right? to try to throw us off course, to get us distracted. Satan's tactics are the same since Genesis chapter 3. Knowing our enemy, knowing our flesh, and knowing the world's system is important to our spiritual victory. You have to know who we're facing in a battle. And so knowing that is important for victory. Alongside with listening to the Lord. Obeying the Lord. Resting in the Lord. And being empowered by the Lord. Verse 9, Joshua lodged that night among the people. His leadership here is evident. If you go to verse 9, he, he stayed there with the people as they waited for the morning. His leadership is evident in his decision to remain with the majority of the men of war. He was not distant or in any way separated from the people. It's crucially important in this event that follows in the morning 
It couldn't be underestimated enough that Joshua spent that time with them. Having experienced defeat the last time they were there at the hands of the men of Ai, they could not afford to be defeated again since this would mean the end of their advance into the land. And at a time of crisis and pressure among the people of God, Joshua acted as a true leader and he was found among them. It's important to note here that those who seek to lead, those who are developing maybe leadership qualities in your life or that God has kind of put you or throwing you into sometimes situations that cause you to be leader. That could be anywhere in our community, in your family, in the church, in a work environment, in your relationship. We need to lead effectively. We will if we walk with people. Right? We need to walk with people. So not over people, not under people, not without people. Although that is, you know that that is the best church ever with no people. Because once you and I enter this door, we are flawed and failed, and right, we have challenges in our lives. But we know who is our King and King and Lord of Lords. And He actually is the ultimate leader who leads amongst us and with us. Right? And that we can depend upon and trust. But Joshua here is going to lead effectively. Because we lead effectively after we have been in God's presence as Joshua was. And then we lead effectively when we follow His instructions in our own life first of all, as Joshua would have had to do. And then we lead effectively when we lead among people. Verse 10, Joshua musters the people. This means the process of, or event of accounting for the members in the military unit. And keep this in mind, it was not long since the hearts of the people were melted. Chapter 7, verse 5, Israel's hearts melted because of the defeat that they had at Ai. Joshua needed to be present himself as a strong and courageous leader so that the people would follow suit. So Joshua rises early in the morning, it says, and he musters the people. And he went up with the elders of Israel before the people of Ai. Bright in the early morning, Joshua gathers his army and, and he and the leaders of Israel march out and they head towards Ai. This is in contrast to that previous attack. Oh, just send 3,000 men and everyone else stays behind. Joshua now is leading the charge. He's taking the people with him. He's dependent and obedient on the Lord. 10.18, it says, here's the ambush. And it unfolds. Joshua, you're to stretch out your javelin or your spear towards Ai. and, And I will give the land into your hands. So whether this has been prearranged, I don't know. Or as a sign that the men would ambush. We're not clearly told what this is. But as he stretched out his hand and given that responsibility by the Lord, the men of the ambush enter into the city and they take it over. Stretching out the javelin of his hand is a sign. Right? It's something here we see similar to how God dealt with Moses 
in the use of his shepherd's staff. He's dealing now with Joshua. And remember, Joshua spent a lot of time with Moses. Right? But both the staff and the javelin show the power of God as used in these human leaders that God had empowered. There's a few thoughts as we kind of move from chapter 7 to chapter 8. From defeat to victory. Here they move, the people of Israel, they move from hidden sin to willful obedience. In our lives, we have to be reminded that we need again to pour our hearts towards the Lord. If there's anything in me, Lord, I need to confess my sin. I need to bring it before You. Hidden sin causes us to usually walk in disobedience. It definitely breaks our relationship down in our walk with the Lord. And so we want to move from hidden sin to willful obedience to the Lord. We do that through confession. They moved from self-confidence to a God-confidence. They relied on self right at the beginning. And now they're relying on God and what God says. This is true in our own lives. Moving from defeat to victory, we need to recognize in and of ourselves we, we fall short. We miss the mark. And so we need to have a God confidence. We need to have our anchor firmly secured in God and His Word and what He says to us. They moved quickly and with little thought of strategy to a thoughtful strategic planning. God definitely gave them the instruction to ambush. Whether He clearly laid out the plan, we're not told. Whether that was something that Joshua and the leaders uh, created on the basis of what God had given to them, we're not sure. But there was a strategy here. It was thoughtful. It was planned out. And we need to move from just going about our lives with the Lord and, and assuming it's just going to happen. That we're going to live successful spiritually victorious lives. That everything's going to just unfold before us. The Bible says that we need to spend time with the Lord. We need to be in prayer with the Lord. We need to uh, obey His Word. And so there's going to be a thoughtful planning process of our own lives. They move from God's anger burning against them to God's presence and God's encouragement going with them. You see, God is a holy God and He cannot look upon sin, disobedience in our lives. And how we move from His burning anger upon us to His presence and encouragement is through our confession, reliance, dependence upon Him. Next week, we will look at chapter 8, 30-35 as Joshua leads the people in a renewal of the covenant We'll ask the question, what is Joshua doing differently from chapter 7? And why is he doing it differently? 30 to 35 is paramount. It's so important to the entire book of Joshua. It actually is the pinnacle that we need to see and discover because it gives the rest of the book so much importance. The lessons are paramount to our lives as believers and to our church family here at Forest Baptist Church. So Heavenly Father, I pray as we just allow this to sink into our lives, the 
moving from sometimes our spiritual defeat or discouragement, frustration, into a recognition of Your glory in our lives, Your working in our lives, the victory that is in You, in Christ, the power and the presence that You provide through Your Holy Spirit. Lord, may it just remind us and encourage us, challenge us this morning. First of all, are we right with You? In a right standing? Have we made You the Lord of our lives? Have we put our faith and trust in You for the very first time and entered into that relationship and that fellowship and that uh, position with You? And if we have, Lord, and this morning we are on our journey of faith with You and our walk with You, Lord, may we be encouraged to remember, do not be afraid. Your presence is with us. And the strategy that You have given is laid out for us in Your Word. So may we read it, study it, memorize it. May we put it into practice in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.